Twice, ready? One, two, one, two, three. <laughs> Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here of this church, and I am delighted that you have decided to join us for worship today, whether you're with us on Facebook or on YouTube or you're listening later. Uh, it is a privilege to be the pastor of this church, and I am just so grateful that you are with us to worship, to hear what God has to say to us today from uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the third chapter. We've been going through Philippians over the last few weeks, and we're going to continue to do so until we get to the end of the letter. It's been really rewarding for me to spend so much time just in one part of Scripture week after week and to hear uh, something similar and something different each time that we come back to it. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. I want to share a few things with you about the comings and goings of our church. We're continuing to offer online devotionals, both in video form and in written form. You can find more about that from our church website or our church Facebook page. There's an online bulletin, a PDF version of the scriptures we're using, the prayers, the hymns, that sort of thing that is available to you. You can pull that up. The, the link for it's in the video description if you want to be able to follow along with what we have going on in the service. I also want to say thank you to those who participated yesterday in our charge conference and those uh, who participated a week ago in our drive-in service of Word and Sacrament. Last Sunday afternoon, we had a number of people who came in their uh, cars and parked in our parking lot for a drive-in service, and it was, it was really, really rewarding for me as a pastor to actually see the faces of the people I serve, to be able to see uh, you face-to-face through windshields while we were worshiping God together. I want to share, though, there was kind of a strange moment, though, because I, I'm not quite as used to seeing people as I have been in the past, because it's been kind of like six months, that I noticed about halfway through my sermon last Sunday afternoon that for the people's faces I could see, a lot of them were no longer looking at me anymore, which is probably indicative of the sermon, uh, but they were kind of looking past me. And because it seemed like there might be actually something behind me, I didn't want to lose my train of focus. I just continued to preach. And then when the service was over, like half a dozen people told me, did you see those deer that were behind you? Uh, we had an, uh, a number of deer who had made their way onto uh, the lawn behind me while I was preaching, and they were hanging out with us for worship. Now, me personally, I kind of took it, you know, a little rough. I thought, gosh, I thought my sermon was compelling, at least a little more interesting than a couple deer, uh, but then someone reminded me, hey, you know, Taylor, God's creation is bigger than just our parking lot and includes more than just us. So what a wonderful reminder it was last week to not only worship with some of you from our church, but also to worship with the deer in our community. They need grace just as much as we do. Uh, so with that, I just want to say thank you again for being with us in worship. Uh, we're going to continue to offer online worship uh, even when we do reopen for in-person worship, and we will keep you all abreast of whenever that might be, as hopefully numbers of COVID cases will continue to go down in our community. 
Uh, with that, I'd like you to bow your heads uh, and be silent in prayer as we continue to prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We are privileged today to have a special guest with us who has asked if he could join us for our time of prayer. So I'm going to call up the sometimes associate pastor, Elijah Wolf Mertens, my son, who said that he would like to join us in our prayers today. So would you like to start and you want me to finish? Um, yeah. And then okay. You, you know so what you're going to pray for? Okay. So you start and I'll finish. Okay. Can we say, it? let's pray? Let's pray. Okay. Go for it. God, thanks for church and even Gloria and how she feels better. Yeah. We're so thankful, and Lord, always, that Gloria feels better. always, always keep this kingdom safe. And keep this kingdom safe. Lord, we give you thanks for all the many blessings that you have showered down upon us, particularly this church, children, our community. We pray for you to be with those who are sick, who are tired, weak, alone, poor. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your kingdom in our midst and help us to work for that kingdom rather than our own. And now, O oh Lord, we lift up to you our own prayers, our joys, and our concerns this day in silence or loud. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Our scripture lesson today comes from, as I said before, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the third chapter, verses uh, 4b through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by be becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Our hymn today comes from the United Methodist Hymnal. It's number 369 in our hymnal. Blessed Assurance, this is my story, this is my song. So join us over on the piano and the drums as we sing and play together. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Yet whatever gains I had, I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. Would you please pray with me? 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A young man was singular in his focus. He wanted nothing more than to become a fighter pilot in the Air Force. He woke up every morning for years to exercise. He maintained a, a perfect grade point average. He wrote letters to his political representatives asking for their endorsements that he might be able to go to the Air Force Academy. And all was well until it wasn't. When he went for his annual physical as a senior in high school, preparing to go to the Air Force Academy, he learned that he was colorblind, which meant his dreams of becoming a fighter pilot were gone forever. A man worked tirelessly for years, starting out as a dishwasher and eventually making his way up through the restaurant ladder. He did all that he did with the hope and the dream of one day opening his own restaurant. He saved every single penny that he could. He crafted the perfect business plan. And finally, after years of hard work, he finally received a bank loan that he would need to make his dream come true. And all was well until it wasn't. When he finally got the new restaurant ready to open, the grand opening happened to fall on the same day that the governor required all restaurants to close because of the coronavirus. And within a week, his line of credit had run out and the restaurant was forced to close before it ever opened. A woman lived for her family. She brought her children to church every single week. She sat with them night after night, helping them with her homework, and she was even happy to be a listening ear to her ever-complaining husband about his job. She did all of the right things. She was the envy of all her peers, and everything was well until it wasn't. In spite of her living for others, putting their needs in front of her own, her husband still ran off with his secretary, leaving her and their children behind. The frightening truth of the matter is sometimes hard work, it doesn't pay off. Life is not as simple as we would like it to be. And no matter how hard we try, there's no guarantee that we can make our wishes come true. Paul continues his letter to the church in Philippi from behind bars with a reference to those who might offer counter interpretations to the gospel as he had delivered it. Like we still do today, he, he rolls out his resume that those who read might know who they should really trust. Look, he writes, if you should be listening to anyone, it should be me. Check this out. I have more reason to be confident than anyone else, any of these false teachers you might have encountered. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a member of the people Israel from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've never given in to the temptation to assimilate to the ways of others around me. I've kept the faith, the faith of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Even more than that, I was Pharisaic in my observance of the law, doing all the right things and avoiding all the wrong things. But wait, there's more. I persecuted the church. I made sure they knew that they were wrong while all the rest of us were right. I was completely and totally blameless under the law. Notably, of Paul's laundry list of qualifications here, the majority were given to him at birth. That is, none of them were achieved by personal effort, and nor could they really be taken away. They are marks of prestige that came simply because Paul was born in the right place to the right people. He was born, we might say, with a religious silver spoon in his mouth. But then he comes to the law. He says, I was a Pharisee. 
This, unlike all the previous qualifications, was not something given to him at birth, but rather something he chose, something he worked tirelessly toward. Being a Pharisee meant observing all the commandments. It required unending commitment, and it was all about maintaining purity while staying away from anything deemed unclean. And still, Paul has more to add. He said, I'm a persecutor of the faith. Not only did Paul separate himself from all the bad in the world, he attempted to eradicate all of the badness, all the uncleanness, wherever he found it, particularly in the early gathering of people called the church. As a Pharisee, as someone under the weight of the law, Paul undoubtedly would have looked at the idea of a crucified Messiah as an unspeakable offense, something remarkably scandalous. So much so that it provoked him to launch a campaign of terror in hopes of rooting out the would-be followers of the one who died on the cross. And then comes the cherry on top of it all. Paul says, I was blameless under the law. This, for Paul, was more important than anything else. All that he had done, all the rules, all the dietary restrictions, all the zealous violence, it was done in the name of righteousness, cleanliness, religiosity. But, and this is a very big but, but, Paul says, whatever gains I had, I count as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul's world was turned upside down. Everything he thought he knew about what was right and good and true and beautiful was turned on its head because of the one on the cross. And perhaps it was an instantaneous and miraculous deliverance wrought on the road to Damascus, or maybe it took Paul years of re-education to learn the truth, but nothing for him would ever be the same. In Christ, Paul discovered that righteousness coming through ritual observance or moral purity, it doesn't mean beans in the kingdom of God. For Jesus, as God in the flesh, delighted in eating and drinking and having fun with sinners. Jesus, as God in the flesh, regularly and routinely went to be with the people Paul only saw as unclean. Jesus, as God in the flesh, mounted the hardwood of the cross to take away the sins of the world. The very sins that Paul was using to judge who was in and who was out. Paul, with his entire religious resume, was bombarded with a delightful truth. Every alternative means to perfection or salvation or righteousness. It crumbles. It has no foundation because on our own, we can't save ourselves. And now, on the other side, only one thing matters to Paul, knowing Jesus Christ, being in the know. Of Jesus Christ. This is a truth that some of us come to discover whether we want to or not, because all of our righteousness, all of our good works, they don't lead to much of anything in the end. If we could fix ourselves in the world, if we could right all the wrongs, we would have done it a long, long time ago. However, as it stands, we're still stuck in the land of the dead. And yet, that's where Jesus does his very best work. The good news of the gospel spoken to us today through the Apostle Paul, Paul, Apostle Paul is that no matter how hard we try to rework ourselves, no matter how worried we are about getting into heaven because of our choices and our commitments and our convictions, we are saved and already home free before we even had a chance to get started. 
God's righteousness in Jesus Christ will always and forever be greater than our own. And knowing Jesus Christ, him crucified, him resurrected, is the name of the game. That's being in the know. To confess Jesus as Lord is to know God in all of God's humility, coming to dwell among us, to die because of us, and to rise for us. Knowing Jesus Christ is discovering that all other means to salvation, whether explicitly biblical or not, they pale in comparison to what God has already done for us. Knowing Jesus Christ is resting in the good news, the very best news, that grace, it's not expensive, it's not even cheap, it's free. Paul, writing to the early church, he reminds those who want to follow Jesus that we all fall prey to the temptation to see one another through our efforts and our failures. That when left to our own devices, we delight in measuring the worth of other people through outward signs of religiosity and spiritual disciplines and moral observances. Because that's exactly what Paul's life was all about until Jesus interrupted it. Paul relied on the law to show him what was right and wrong, and therefore who was worthy and who was unworthy. It's akin to how today we determine everything we think we need to know about another person by the kind of job they have or the kind of car they drive or the name of a political candidate stretching across a bumper sticker on the aforementioned automobile. What Paul was unable to see, that is until Jesus blinded him and gave him a new set of eyes and new vision, was that under the law, all of us are unworthy. All of us are in need of help. All of us are sinners in the hands of God. And, and no matter how hard we try on our own, all of our effort will be like sinking sand when compared with the actual condition of our condition. Our righteousness cannot make up for our sinfulness. Paul then writes to the Philippians because he now lives in a world constituted by grace and not by works. He encourages them to rest in and rely on Christ's faithfulness because that's the only thing they need to do. All outward signs of sanctimonious piety, they don't mean much when the Lamb of God has already taken away the sins of the world. Notice, the Lamb of God has not taken away the sins of some, of only the good or the cooperative or the select few who manage to accrue a, a, a resume as detailed and glowing as Paul's. The Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. The cross is God's great and forever declaration that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which, because he died for the sins of the world, includes each and every single one of us. In another letter to another church, Paul reminds the people of God that the law exists to accuse us. It's to demonstrate to us what we're really like. Until, while we're sinners, grace comes and liberates us from the curse of sin without a single condition attached. As others have said, including myself, there are no ifs in the kingdom of God. Jesus, while hanging on the cross, did not demand improvement. Jesus, while hanging out in the tomb, doesn't wait to break free until we all get our stuff together. Jesus, while hanging out with the right hand of the Father, doesn't guilt trip us into more moral obligations in order to get a ticket into the Supper of the Lamb. Instead, Jesus lives, he dies, and he's raised in order to rectify and redeem the world, including us and in spite of us. 
And the best news of all, Paul reminds us here, is that even if we continue to rebel, even if we do everything in our power to keep making a huge mess of things, Jesus, to use Paul's words, has already made us his own. No mistake, no sin, no disappointment, no failure, and no rebellion can hold a candle to the love of God and Jesus Christ that draws us home and refuses to let us go. So I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you've got reason to be confident in the flesh. Maybe you've done all the right things in all the right times and all the right places, but all of that's rubbish in the end. Because the Lamb of God has already come and taken away the sins of the world. Thanks be to God. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, help us find our life in you so that we might be freed from our fear of death. Our deaths have died in the death of your Son, so that, like him, we might rise to life made perfect by your love. Help us name our lives as gifts, so we will not jealously try to ensure, through coercion and violence, the regard and envy of others. For we fear, without such notice by others, we will be dead. Such a living is not joy, and we know we were created for joy and life. Let us therefore learn to live as gifts so that others might rejoice in our existence. And all God's people say, Amen. God has gathered us together, God has proclaimed God's word, and we respond to what God has said to us with the giving of ourselves, the giving of our time, our efforts, but also our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online, the, the link for doing so is in the video description. You can send a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can bring your offering. We have a drop slot by the main offer stores. Uh, but give. Give so that this church can be a haven and blessing of peace for our community and for the world, that we might continue to be able to offer these worship videos uh, online on Sunday morning, that we might be able to continue to work for the betterment of the kingdom in our community here, now, and forever. Another way we like to respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So please join me in doing so. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, each week I've also thought of different ways that we can respond to what God has said, and this week I've been thinking about five different ways that all of us can support and help our church. Uh, the first way that we can help our church is by giving to the church uh, from our financial offerings. As I said before, you can do that online, you can do it through the mail, you can do it locally, but giving to the church helps support the church to continue to do the work of the kingdom in the community. The second way that we can all help the church is sharing information about the church with others. That might mean having a conversation with someone about something you heard on a Sunday morning, or it might mean sharing the video for this worship service on Facebook or on YouTube or sending out an email, whatever it looks like, sharing information about the church with others so that others might come to know what grace really 
means. The third is contact someone from the church. Uh, reach out to someone that you haven't talked to in a while or someone you see all the time just to check on them, see how they're doing, ask them what they're up to, all that stuff. If you don't know anyone from the church, contact me and I'll connect you with somebody else from the church. The fourth is share your ideas with the pastor, with me. Uh, it's not fun being a pastor in isolation. I'm always in need of new ideas, of ministries, sermon topics, scriptures you want to hear about. Send your ideas to me about what it means to be the church today and what it might look like in the midst of something like this. And the fifth way is pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray without ceasing for the renewal of the church. Pray without ceasing for the renewal of our community. Pray that God's grace might rain down again and again on us so that we know that in the end, the best news has already been taken care of. The Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. So with that, I'd like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see and know and believe the good news is really, 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 really good because it's for us in spite of us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to joining again with you next week, same time, same place. Go in peace. Amen, amen, and amen.